Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Our next speaker, and we want to thank uh, Dr. Brooks Cash, who's a guest at uh, the American College of Emergency Physicians. He's a gastroenterologist. He will be talking about management of severe gastrointestinal bleeding in the anticoagulated patient presenting to the ED. And Dr. Cash is the Dan and Lily Sterling Professor of Medicine, uh, Chief of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition at the University of Texas Health Sciences Center at Houston. And his experience in this area coming as a consultant to us I think will be highly valuable to you, Dr. Cash. Well, thank you. I want to thank the organizers and, uh, and just uh, share my uh, admiration for you all, A, for showing up so early for a meeting, and B, for what you do. I could not do what you do. Thank goodness for you uh, serving on the front lines. So it's nice to be a consultant. But uh, I, it is my pleasure to talk to you about GI bleeding and the anticoagulated patient. And this is what goes through at least our mindset when we are consulted, we're called by you all about a GI bleeder. And this is going to be largely geared towards upper GI bleeding that has higher morbidity and mortality than lower GI bleeding. It's more common when severe than lower GI bleeding. Certainly we can have severe lower GI bleeds, almost always diverticular in nature. But uh, we're, we're primarily thinking about varices and ulcers when we're uh, getting these types of calls. And it all boils down to triage. And of course, there's the initial management we're all familiar with, making sure there's IV access. Seems like a simple thing, two large bore IVs. I mean, this this is a laundry list of things that we always say. It rarely happens. We usually get a a 20 gauge in in the right antecubital, and that's about it. But hemodynamic assessments, doing some labs, checking anticoagulation, uh, type and cross, and beginning those those resuscitation measures. And then we assess the, the patient's risk factors, and we really break them up into two different groups, high-risk patients and low-risk patients. Very simple. This is what we do for many, many conditions. The high-risk patients, we're going to probably end up doing earlier endoscopy. They need to be in an ICU setting. And then the low-risk patients, we can uh, be a a bit more casual about with regards to our endoscopic evaluation and uh, where they go in the hospital. You can see the factors that, that we think about uh, when we're assessing that initial risk. So stratify into high and low risk, triage, 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 figure out the timing of endoscopy. We'll talk more about that. Now, there are some helpful scales or score systems that you can use to do this. Uh, There's something called the Rockall score. That's a pre-endoscopy score that Give some information with regards to uh, patient outcomes without endoscopy and with endoscopy. There's something called the AIMS 65 score, which is an even simpler score. It's been validated against some of these other scores. And then there's what we call the glasgow Blashford score, and that's the most common and, and really the best proven in terms of predicting the need for intervention as well as the need for mortality or the risk of mortality for the patient. This is a 0 to 23 scale. Patients who have one or fewer on the, on the uh, scoring system can really be managed as outpatients. Everybody else needs to be admitted and then um, scoped. There is some data that suggests that perhaps you can push that up to two and uh, be a little bit more casual. These are the factors that go into now, uh, the, the uh, Glasgow or the Blatchford score, we typically will just say Blatchford score. Um, but uh, you can see BUN, hemoglobin, d- 
different for men and women. That's important to realize. Hemodynamics really take the, the primary role here. What is the patient's hemodynamic status? Based on their systolic blood pressure, their heart rate, whether or not they've uh, had melanin, syncope, do they have a cardiac history or a uh, history of chronic liver disease, thinking again about portal hypertension and variceal bleeders. Now, with regards to timing of endoscopy, this has been controversial. It still is controversial. I got a text from one of my faculty members yesterday about uh, the heart failure ICU really pushing her to do a scope. Now, 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 now. Uh, and we've had some guidance with regards to our guideline statements. Some of these are older. 2010 in the top. This is Alan Barcoon and the Annals of Internal Medicine and some upper GI bleeding guidelines saying, yeah, we need to scope these patients within 24 hours. That was reiterated by the American College of Gastroenterology guidelines back in 2012. Now, these are, again, are 10, 12-year-old uh, guidelines. 24 hours, sure, we need to do the scope within 24 hours. More recently, however, we did have a really, a, I think, a landmark article by Lau. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2020. Again, reiterating, yes, we need to scope these patients within 24 hours of presentation. However, when we Come in, guns ablazing, if you will. I'm from Texas, so please forgive me with regards to that. That's probably not a good thing to say. But when we come in really rushing in, doing early, early, urgent endoscopy within six hours, we actually create more problems often than we're trying to, than we're able to fix. Because these patients are under-resuscitated, we're sedating them, um, they're not stable, they have a higher, in, they have an increased risk of complications during the procedure as well as after the procedure. And so what they found in a very large study, this is an Asian study, so not exactly comparable to a Western population, but probably not all that different, was that, you know, we really probably don't need to be doing endoscopy within six hours. Let's get the patient stabilized and then make that decision. Now, in an important caveat that has to be recognized from this is this does not necessarily apply to those patients, let's say, with massive uh, variceal bleeds who are not being resuscitated. They're trying to resuscitate, but they're not succeeding. Those patients need to be scoped urgently. We need to come in and try and, and plug that hole, if you will, uh, and stop that bleeding. So there's, everything is, should be taken in some context here, but we're, pro we're talking more about um, peptic ulcer disease bleeding and, and typical presentations. Now, what about anticoagulation specifically with GI bleeding patients? Well, patients with severe signs or ma of major bleeding should be managed in an ICU setting with appropriate hemodynamic support. We've already talked about that. And we have a couple of options. We can watch those patients uh, in terms of their anticoagulation. We can try to remove that anticoagulation. This is rarely done, but with activated charcoal or hemodialysis. I can't think of the last time in 10 years I've actually seen that done. Uh, active interventions can be uh, employed as well with uh, antifibrinolytic agents or clotting factor uh, products such as PCC or specific reversal agents. And you've already heard a lot about that in terms of intracranial bleeds. We're going to think about this in the setting of GI bleeding. So questions that we need to consider consider as we're making that decision to reverse or not reverse, because that's really the most practical decision, is where is what type of bleeding is this? Is it an upper GI bleed? Is it a lower GI bleed? What agent is the patient receiving? When did they take their last dose? The possibility of, of overdose? Do they have any other medications, such as NSAIDs or antiplatelet agents? Any comorbidities that may promote their bleeding? A lot of guidelines with regards to uh, reversal. These are the guidelines that have been published since 2018. You can see three here from different groups. These are all applied to different patients, some with uh, history of venous thromboembolism, some with uh, atrial fibrillation. But the commonalities are for the vitamin K antagonists, 
Four-factor PCC is the preferred agent for DOAX. You can use four-factor PCC or use a specific antidote, but generally we're going to reserve these reversals for GI bleeds for people with serious or life-threatening bleeds. A couple of other guidelines say really the same thing, and you can see some of the recipes there. And I've got a, a busy slide in just a second, but a very good article that I'm going to recommend that you all uh, take a look at. We do have more recent guidelines from the American College of Gastroenterology. These were published just this year. And you can see the recommendations that are listed there. Warfarin, again, suggest against uh, FFP. Recommend PCC over that if you're going to reverse. We've already heard about dabigatrin, uh, pixaban, and rivaroxaban, uh, and dexanet alpha or PCCs in the setting of serious uh, life-threatening GI bleeding. When you read the guidelines, they say we suggest against that. However, when you in, the, in their tables, when you read the body of, of the guidelines, they say, well, if it's a life-threatening bleed, then you can consider it, or you should consider it. And I bring your attention up to the top of the slide in their definition of life-threatening GI hemorrhage, hem uh, hypovolemic shock, severe hypotension, requiring pressors, associated with a decrease in hemoglobin of at least five from baseline, and re or requiring transfusion of at least five units, a massive transfusion protocol. ASA, we don't need to hold aspirin. doesn't make any sense to hold aspirin. Those platelets are already inhibited, and don't use antiplatelet agents. So very good guidelines from the American College of Gastroenterology, specifically speaking to um, G uh, acute GI bleeding, and there's also a section in those guidelines about elective procedures. So ultimately, reversal is desirable in a patient with serious or life-threatening GI bleeding, who remains anti actively anticoagulated. We don't have a lot of randomized controlled trials or any randomized controlled trials in the GI literature to support these practices or non-practices. So we really have to balance the, the risk of life-threatening bleeding with the risk of thrombosis in these patients. And ultimately, these assessments are inherently subjective as well. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine Office of Continuing Medical Education, EMCREG International, and Total CME Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.